Hello, y'all, and welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Stoffer, doing Request Part 47 today. And for this one, we're going to be doing things just a little bit different for this week, where we're going to start transitioning and talking a little bit about college players, especially stay tuned, you know, as we wrap up QB1, starting at the beginning of next week. And as we start to go back to our original show, Last Chance You, and talk about junior colleges a little bit more. However, I am going to focus on the theme of Colorado football players drafted, not necessarily from Colorado, but from Colorado colleges or unsigned free agents. This was due to a request for, you know, this wide receiver who's currently with the Denver Broncos, but we're going to save that for last. And we're going to start off with one of the six players who actually got was either drafted or an unsigned free agent from this past NFL draft. And that starts with. Alani Putsutau, the six foot one, two hundred and forty three pound DN slash edge rusher out of Adams State, down in Alamosa, Colorado, who originally was an unsigned free agent for the Atlanta Falcons, and I don't know if he's still on the roster technically, but you know it's still huge news for a D two player to have made it this far and to have a decent amount of film and you know, make a, a variety of plays. And so I'm going to break down his strengths and weaknesses. And, you know, first and foremost, Alani here has a phenomenal first step. And that's usually where he wins these battles against these D linemen is on that very first step where he can either beat them to the outside or, you know, he has them overcommit to the outside and gets their hips turned and then just beats them back across their face. So, you know, I think that that's a very solid display of, excellent footwork and speed to beat these linemen on a consistent level. And, you know, I'll talk about how consistently he was able to do this here in a second. But, you know, once he does either get past those linemen or even when he is engaged, he's very tenacious. He does hand fight pretty aggressively. And in the backfield, he does blow up some plays. And he does this by A, being a very solid tackler in the backfield. And... Secondly, he does this by just having a very high motor. You know, anytime a quarterback makes eye contact with Pututau here, they are running for their lives, and Alani doesn't usually let them get away. You know, he does a great job of keeping up and playing fast, but also playing disciplined at the same time and playing aggressive. It's that kind of perfect combination you look for whenever they're going in for contact. And, you know, I think that's obviously why, even as a D2 player, he's getting looks from the NFL. So I think, and you know, I think that his go-to move of that jab and coming back inside is phenomenal and it works consistently. And, you know, in addition to all of that, he does a great job of when he's engaged, keeping his eyes up and in the backfield. He does a great job of, you know, keeping only one hand on that lineman if he is engaged and waiting for the run play to kind of develop and then pursuing immediately and trying to make a play on the ball you know he's not stuck looking at the ground or stuck looking at his guy he knows exactly where the football is at all times and that shows great you know awareness for the game and it shows great control for the game and so what i want to do here is read out you know some things that jump out when you look at alani here and it's that a so he played at snow community college i believe or or something like that before playing at Adams State for one year in 2019. 
And so in that one year, he racked up 63 total tackles, including being the leading tackler for Adam State with 39 solo tackles as well as 24 assists. But what really jumps off the page when you look at, you know, Alani Pututau's performance at Adam State is that he was tied for third in the entire country with 24 and a half tackles for loss for over 100 yards of loss. In addition to that, he was also third in the country with 13 and a half sacks for 80 yards of loss. He added on another five QB hits, a safety, and a forced fumble. So when you have this combination of just kind of this dominance, right? And, you know, th there's a lot to work on, in my opinion, in Alani Pututau's game, but... You know, when you when you dominate at that level and you put up those numbers, you can't argue with numbers at the end of the day. And, you know, I think that's why he ultimately at least got a single look from the Atlanta Falcons. I don't know if that will be the absolute last that we hear of Pututau. But talking about some areas of improvement here for Alani is that he's not particularly strong. There's not a play where if a lineman really gets their hands on him, Alani is effectively dismissed from the entire play. He doesn't beat anyone with a bull rush or by having stronger legs or, you know, using his arms to really, like, toss blockers to the side. His arms are more an accessory to his pass rushing where, you know, he can rip through or he could do dips and stuff or swims. But it's not for pushing anyone out of the way necessarily or tossing them to the side. So he would definitely have to get significantly stronger, in my opinion, especially at his frame of 243 pounds where, you know, he's trying to be an edge rusher, but he's not super big. You know, he's definitely going to have to be a lot stronger on top of just getting faster as well to compete with that NFL speed and with those NFL tackles. I also think that, you know, his hand fighting, while it's very tenacious and while he does have a couple of options, I think that he can expand it a little bit more and his rush moves like his spin move is kind of slow and clunky. So I'd like for him to, you know, get faster at that as well as a couple of other rush moves and just develop more of a forte rather than just that initial speed and that jab step. I also need to mention that when you get signed to the NFL out of, you know, D2, there's obviously some concern about the competition you're facing there. Like how many of those tackles did Pututau face go to the NFL, right? So you obviously have that concern. And then, you know, the the footwork, mm, I guess, like, or confidence to play in the pass game, to play linebacker, which, you know, they, they had him drop back and pass a couple of times. That's not super reassuring. And, you know, you're kind of stuck uh, binding Pututau here to that edge position and he doesn't bring a lot of versatility or you know anything like that to the defensive side of the ball which makes it harder for him to see the field and he'd also be a 26 year old rookie which you know it's happened before there's been older rookies but it is concerning and it doesn't leave as much room to grow in my opinion to make it to make an investment so Talking about outlook here, he, like I said, he initially did get signed with the Falcons. I don't think he's there anymore. And I think that's because there's not really anything that Pututau brings to the table that, you know, Dante Fowler, for as disappointing of a season as he did have, could do. 
who's a, a way better athlete or Barkevius Mingo could do. I just don't think that he brings something to the roster that isn't already there. And, you know, while the Falcons may be able to develop, you know, some depth or benefit from some depth, I don't really see him really doing anything there unless he's on the special teams unit, which I think is where he'll get his best chances, especially maybe at like blocking punts or something like that. And I think that that will be his best opportunity will probably come at a time in the season where teams are decimated by injury because, you know, there's always like, I want to say like five teams where like all of their frontline starters are kind of banged up. So, you know, I could see him potentially getting some opportunities there, but probably no starts, but potentially a decent amount of snaps, you know, as a practice squad player who gets onto the field after injuries and, you know, after putting in work on special teams and then eventually rotating in on defense from, you know, other players being fatigued or the like of that. And, you know, obviously I wish him the best. His story is really cool. And, you know, it's awesome to see D2 guys get drafted into the NFL, especially out of our own state of Colorado. So, you know, obviously Alani Pututau, I wish him nothing but the best and, you know, would like to see the best case scenarios work out for him. But that does it for Pututau on this breakdown. Coming up next, we have a sixth round lineman. Hello, y'all, and welcome back to Request Part 47 with your host, Cody Stoffer, talking about some Colorado players who got drafted. And I should mention that there were a total of six players that were either drafted or unsigned free agents during this past NFL draft. However, three of them were for Air Force, and I could not find any film of them actually at Air Force. And I'm basing most of this off of college film with only high school film to supplement, not standing in place for college film. So with that being said, I will talk about the six foot three, 304 pound offensive lineman out of the University of Colorado Boulder, drafted to the Patriots. And that is William, aka Will Sherman, who, you know, played quite a bit of tackle and guard at the University of Colorado. And so, you know, I'm going to start off with the weaknesses first, then go into strengths and finish out with outlook. So you know, I think that one of his weaknesses is that he kind of leans a little bit too much on whoever he's blocking. And so however they fall or however they twist or turn, he's going to be kind of stuck on them, which is good. Don't get me wrong, but he ends up with his hands on their back pretty often. And something like that where he can be pretty like top heavy, I'd say, is a situation where some of these better pass rushers or some of these smarter D linemen are going to let you like kind of fall into them and then be able to swim through you or swim around you. So, you know, he's going to be very easy to get stuck and baited by some of these smarter D linemen or pass rushers in the NFL. And trust me, there's a lot more of those than in the Pac-12 where, I mean, you know, it's the Pac-12, right? So say what you will about, you know, any other conference, but Pac-12... Not necessarily renowned for its D-line play as much as, you know, an SEC or I'd say even an ACC at that rate or a Big Ten. So, you know, it's it's still Power 5, but not as powerful as most of the others in the 5 is how I'll say that. But 
you know, I'll, I'll say that also in his college film, I did not see him pull that much. So I am unsure if that's necessarily the scheme that he played in or if it's because his lateral quickness that kind of looked like a concern from the supplemental high school film that I watched, you know, wasn't, or at least in pulling in the run game and whatnot, wasn't up to par for that next level of competition or if he could keep up with that same level of speed, you know. In addition to that, sometimes when he would go second level in the run game, I don't think he necessarily would always block the correct person or, you know, I just don't think that he played very well from inside to out, like blocking and thinking wise. So I would definitely want him to watch film and work on that. That's not necessarily a hard fix, but it is something that needs to be focused on. I think that that's something that, you know, Belichick and his staff up there could definitely handle and maximize Sherman the most with. But, you know, he definitely needs to work on some mental game. He needs to work on upper body, I'd say control and even like core strength, honestly, to regain that kind of balance and not be so top heavy and just like that kind of keep that control of like knowing when you should be like pushing someone in the back and if they can sell it and get a flag out of it. I don't think that there was a lot of instances of that necessarily happening, but you know, just, just be careful with those hands and where they end up. I also think that, you know, with the little bit of high school film that I had to watch that he had a very weird stance, um, which obviously improved at the University of Colorado, but, you know, it's something to keep in mind as far as, you know, things that contributed to his unbalanced kind of play style, at least top heavy. But with that being said, you know, he was a six round draft pick. He was the highest drafted Colorado college football player, period, of this last draft class. And there are reasons for that. And I think that, you know, that first and foremost reason that, you know, got the Patriots to come knocking on his door is the versatility across the line. You know, he played quite a bit of guard. He played quite a bit of tackle and he played both left and right tackle at the University of Colorado, you know, playing, I believe, nine games at right tackle, you know, in, in his first year of playing and then started all 12 games at right tackle during his next year. And then for his redshirt junior season, he played left tackle. So, you know, you have somebody, especially when you're looking for depth at the lineman position, Will Sherman definitely brings that. And, you know, he played all those positions well. And there there is a reason for that. And I think that that's because, you know, while his lateral movement speed may be questioned when pulling, his lateral footwork, I believe, in the pass game is pretty slept on, I'd say, as far as most prospects go. And I think that his hip fluidity is very good for a lineman and he's one of those linemen that you know plays that take them or i should say like quote take them where they want to go end quote kind of play style and what i mean by that is you know if the defender is going to try and beat him inside he's just going to lock those arms straight inside of his chest and he's gonna he's gonna be able to kick out to that spot and he's going to be able to just you know push them continuously inside if that's where you want to go i'm going to take you there or you know if they try and beat him off the edge fine, I'm going to take you all the way to the sideline and let you just run out of bounds, basically, and take yourself out of the play because, you know, he just has that hip control. He has that arm control. And, you know, 
while while engaged in a block i do believe in his footwork at least moving you know side to side and i think it's very clean and so you know i was very impressed and i think that you know i don't know how much of a difference this makes but this is a guy that probably should have went in the fifth round and i think that he's heading into an excellent excellent system up there in foxborough where he's going to have opportunities to shine and maximize his potential when when playing for the patriots and so kind of adjusting into outlook here you know the patriots in 2020 i believe that they had the fourth best line according to pro football focus but they did lose a guard so you know they're gonna have to fill in that gap and it may take a couple of tries to fill it in but also the thing that the most positive outlook for sherman here is i don't necessarily think he starts by the beginning of the season but he's the next guy up if anybody goes down in my opinion like no matter what position it is other than maybe center sherman probably plays at least a few snaps this year and he you know if anybody does get hurt like and is out for the game sherman has the highest chance and capacity and ability to fill in and capture a start this year and i think that that's he probably has the best chances of starting currently out of any of these prospects that i'm going to be talking about including alani and the one that i'll be talking about coming up next but you know i think that the patriots are going to be able to like i said maximize sherman i think sherman is going to get his chance and i think sherman is going to find success especially in this Patriots system you know block for cam newton or mac jones whoever it is i think that he's going to be great in the pass game and serviceable in the run game you know that's definitely something that he does need to work on is that kind of aggressiveness in the run game but you know he he's pass blocked for some great quarterbacks in the past he actually came from allen high school where kyler murray was at and i believe when sherman was a sophomore murray was a senior so you know you have all of these things for sherman he's a decorated lineman who you know earned second team all conference recognition in 2019 in his junior year and you know he was honorable mention all pac 12 honors his very you know his sophomore year in um or actually i think i guess that would be his retro sophomore year anyways you know he has the accolades to back it up or at least in the pac 12 frame of reference and you know i think that that's it's a great setup for bill belichick and that patriots coaching staff to really get the most out of him and have a good depth at the line position with that being said that kind of does it for my analysis out of will sherman we are, we will be traveling to fort collins to talk about our last prospect of the day who was requested coming up next hello y'all and welcome back to the last segment of request part 47 i know that you're really used to that four segment format but like i said i could not get any film on these air force guys so there were only three prospects in colorado that had enough film for me to piece something together if you didn't if you for some reason you jumped all the way here make sure to listen and go back for my analysis on alani putsutau out of adam state a d2 unsigned drafted free agent and william sherman aka will sherman who was a sixth round lineman pick for the new england patriots drafted out of cu i should mention if i'm talking about these colorado colleges but this last one who was actually requested to me 
by Jerome Jackson, who plays safety at the University of Northern Colorado. Stay tuned for that season because Ed McCaffrey is getting his first shot, his first crack at coaching college football. And, you know, they've got a lot of graduate transfers up here. And, you know, from the sounds of it, they're also redoing the field. And Jerome seems excited, as as does my other buddy, Sam Flowers, which if you haven't listened to that episode, go ahead and go back. I believe that is episode 10 of the Playmakers Corner podcast, where I interviewed Sam Flowers and got his perspective on JUCO, as well as the upcoming opportunity for the University of Northern Colorado, who didn't play this past 2020 season. But anyways, as requested by Jerome Jackson, is his cousin Warren Jackson, the 6'6", 219-pound wide receiver out of CSU, who is currently an unsigned free agent for the Denver Broncos. And so I'll start with areas of improvement first before talking about strengths and lastly concluding with outlook. So, you know, I do want to say that Warren doesn't probably take every release seriously. Not every release is made the same with Warren Jackson, where, you know, sometimes he does put a lot of effort and he does get good separation, but sometimes he kind of just not jogs off the ball, but doesn't go full speed in my opinion. Or I should say for, for the speed that he does display on some releases. I also noticed that he doesn't really dip down and, you know, explode in between breaks and he relies on athleticism a bit much which you know it worked don't get me wrong it worked against the mountain west but the nfl is a whole different animal and well there's some sorry defenders in the mountain west so you know that's definitely a little bit of a concern i don't know if it's necessarily because he doesn't know how or you know if it's going to be an acquired kind of work on where you just really got to get low and explode in and out of those breaks to create more separation than he normally gets. So I also want to note that with him, along with Alani, they didn't play the 2020 season. So there's kind of a huge gap between the last time that they played football in pads and going into, you know, these, these training camps and going into the preseason now. So you know, that is something to keep an eye on as well as he had a couple of injuries, one to his leg and one to his shoulder. So that's something to definitely keep an eye on as far as durability. And if he maybe needs to bulk up just a little bit to prevent injuries, I wouldn't say a whole lot more, but I'd feel a little bit better if he was like probably 225 pounds or something. So he just has a little bit more muscle to kind of, you know, protect, you know, himself because he is a bit scrawny out there. And then I also want to see how he adjusts to the two feet inbounds rule because he does make a handful of boundary catches, a handful of just inside the end zone catches, most of them being with a single leg. So obviously being able to elevate that and bring it to the next level is going to be a little bit different. I want to see how he adjusts to that body control. But, you know, I'd say biggest thing is just consistency on route running and consistency on releases are going to be the biggest areas to address for Warren Jackson here because when he does get his release on point and when he does get those routes on point he is a very dangerous receiver and I think actually has the most potential out of anyone I'm talking about on this episode and that's for a variety of reasons both in the potential as far as the athleticism that he has and in what he did show over there at Colorado State so you know like I said he runs 
Okay, I guess I should start off with something that, you know, base barely any Colorado receivers that we've talked about consistently do, and that's run routes, a variety of routes, from a variety of positions. You know, he plays inside the slot, he plays on the outside, he runs in and he runs routes off of motion, you know, and he runs in bunch formations. He ru he runs from everywhere on the field, and not a lot of receivers do that here in Colorado, especially at the high school level, but, you know, on the college level, he definitely did that, and he ran a variety of routes, you know, and threw in some wrinkles to his game as far as, you know, where he was running deep routes from and how he would run them and how he shook off defenders, you know. He has very he does a very good job of like using his head to sell those double moves in my opinion, where you know he'll look right and then come back left, or he'll look left and come back right, or he'll look upfield and then break down and catch a quick hitch route and then, you know, use his yards after the catch ability where he does show off, you know, that strength that he has. And there's this one play where he completely just suns this defender and just stiff arms them into the ground off off of a hitch route you know it was a six yard catch that turns into a first down because of the yards after catch so you know he has that yak ability he has that ability to throw defenders off their game basically just using his head for most of his double moves and for his releases as well he does have a good like stutter release i believe and he does have a good like cell vertical cutback and side release and when he wants to his footwork is very good on his releases and on his routes, it's just developing that consistency, like I said. But that's not even the best parts of his game, in my opinion, you know. Well, on the route running, he also has a lot of tricks, slips, and dips up his sleeve where, you know, he can sell a variety of different routes from different positions. And ultimately, he does a good job of finding the green grass on the field when he is tasked with it. Especially, I'd say, on the post routes is where I can see his kind of football IQ and awareness for the field the most. But it's his ball awareness that is definitely his strongest trait as a receiver. He has incredible anticipation for the football, and he routinely wins jump ball situations. And, you know, he's just a great athlete, I think, with, with very solid speed. You know, he, uh, at least in-game, pretty decent speed. But it's, it's his strength and his ability to position the ball. You know, he routinely one jump ball situations, especially fade routes in the end zone or, you know, just jump balls down the right or left sideline. He was able to turn both ways and, you know, quote unquote, moss uh, plenty of defenders. But what I liked the most about Warren Jackson and what I think that a team has to gain the most from having Warren Jackson on their team is when he makes these, you know, these big catches, he makes these great catches and these situations he's clutch you cannot ask that from a handful of wide receivers there are a lot of wide receivers where when you put them in the spotlight on any level they they shrivel they don't show up you could think of you know ty williams this past year at eagle crest you could think of jerry judy in some situations with some really tough drops but from warren jackson you are not going to get that when you need him when, when you need someone on offense to answer the call, and CSU needed this a few times because, well, they're not all—they're not necessarily the best program in the state. I'll put it that way. But when they needed somebody to answer the call, Warren Jackson consistently picked up. Fourth and 13, contested catch down the right sideline, gets his foot in bounds. Game-tying TDs. TDs within the last five minutes of the game to close the gap. You know, he is a clutch football player. He has ice in his veins. 
and he rises to the occasion. I think that if he's given a true legitimate shot, a true legitimate shot, he's going to be a jump ball specialist in the NFL as well. He's going to, and he's going to make plays when they matter, right? You know, it's like, okay, we have one shot. Like, I'll throw it up to Warren Jackson on a Hail Mary over a handful of, no, I wouldn't say a handful, but over some receiver ones in the NFL. I'd throw it to him because he's going to go up and he's already done it before. He's done it on the, on the college level, and I don't think that he's going to shy away from making those plays on the pro level. But that's where things get tricky, is if he's going to be given a chance. Now, he already slid out of the draft when he could have potentially been a, you know, at least a sixth or seventh round guy. But his combine was super concerning. He ran a 4.740, which as a wide receiver is, it's not very good. And then, you know, his, his agility trainings, or agility drills, I should say, weren't necessarily the best. So, you know, that's why he falls all the way where he does. And, you know, that's why he only gets a chance here with the hometown team, which honestly, other than, you know, not being signed or uh, undrafted at all, isn't very ideal because the Broncos wide receiver room is one of the most crowded wide receiver rooms in the NFL. You have Cortland Sutton coming back from injury. You have Tim Patrick, who had like the lowest drop rate of any receiver in the NFL last season. And you have Jerry Judy, who, you know, he just came off of a pretty decent rookie year. And he's looking to, you know, all three of those guys are hungry for the wide receiver one position. And if none of them get it, then you already have a wide receiver two from one of them. And on top of that, they're going to get on the field. All three of those guys are going to get on the field routinely. Judy, especially, who can run routes out of the slot and the outside. You know, probably the best out of those three as far as versatility. And then you also have KJ Hamler, who, you know, had a game-winning touchdown catch last season and was explosive, you know, as far as just being exactly what the Broncos drafted him to be. And that's world beater in the speed department. So, yeah, four receivers already, which doesn't include, you know, your Tyree Clevelands that have been there for a couple of years or the Seth Hamiltons that we drafted this year. It's just, it's really crowded. And... Jackson needs to at least be given a chance in the preseason to really make his mark, I feel. And so, you know, I'm hoping that he has a very good preseason. The preseason is for players like Warren Jackson, who, you know, were they shined in college and, you know, they made big plays, but they're not necessarily given a chance because, you know, their their numbers for drills isn't necessarily the best. And, you know, their competition wasn't... I mean, it's the Mountain West, so... That, that's all I have to say about that. But, you know, he's somebody who really needs the preseason, I think, to be given the true legitimate shot that he deserves. And I think that there's a spot for him on an NFL roster. And, you know, I think that he could be one of those red zone guys that catches, you know, five TDs, you know, every year. So, you know, and I, I'll, I'll take five TDs, especially against, you know, a handful of these smaller cornerbacks. He's just going to sun them. And that's what that's how it's going to be. So, you know, Warren Jackson, obviously, I wish him nothing but the best heading forward, as well as all of these other prospects. And, you know, they'll be able to address these weaknesses, and hopefully that NFL coaching and facilities will help them turn up. But, 
Like I said, we only have three prospects for today because I wanted to keep the theme consistent. And that does it for request part 47 here on the Playmakers Corner podcast. Once again, if you haven't, make sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and subscribe to us so you know that when, uh, when new episodes do come out. And yeah, thank you so much for the support. Find us on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. That does it for me, Cody Stoffer. Peace.